It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Another woman has come forward with accusations of sexual misconduct by Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. From nominations to the United Nations to Brexit negotiations, there's a lot on the line this week, both at home and abroad. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. As most of you know, Beth and I wrote a book. It's very exciting. It's so crazy to hear you say it like that. Just so matter of fact, like we wrote a book. I know, right? We wrote a book. It's called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. It will be out in February of next year, and we are putting together a book launch team, and it's not too late. So if you want to be a part of the book launch team, just go. You can email me at sarah at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. The book launch team is going to help us get the news of the book out there. It's going to post reviews. It's going to do all kinds of exciting, fun activities and challenges. I love a good challenge, especially a daily challenge, which I'm sure we will have as part of the book launch team. So if you're interested, just email me at sarah at pantsypoliticsshow.com. There's so much news to get through. We are going to talk about Brett Kavanaugh in our main segment because we continue to have reflections on that. That story continues to develop. But we want to start with some international news. President Trump is addressing the United Nations General Assembly this week. What he is going to say 
I don't know. There's been reporting that he's going to talk about non-proliferation. There's been reporting that he's going to talk just about Iran, that he's going to tout his foreign policy achievements. I I have no idea what he's going to say. So and I bet that no one does until it just comes out of his mouth. The New York Times is reporting that his aides are very worried, not necessarily that he will mouth off, but that he'll be overly enthusiastic with the wrong people, which that sounds about right, like snuggling up to dictators and stuff. I do think that that is a really legitimate concern Real risk, for these for, sure. for these informal like pull asides that happen. It's oh. really hard to plan. And the, the dynamics of who meets with whom during the U.N. are hugely important on the diplomatic stage. The president is spending some time with Japan's Shinzo Abe. He has tweeted about that quite a bit. Um, Abe is both spending this time with President Trump and having a meeting with Iranian President Rouhani, which is seen widely as kind of a subtle way to rebel against Donald Trump. And there's Mm. been a lot of reporting about how that's kind of where we are. People understand who he is now. They understand how to deal with him. And so they are both trying to be gracious with him and deal with the United States as best they can, while also kind of bucking him wherever they can. Well, and the problem is, as everyone else gathers intelligence, listens to their advisors, takes advice, he believes that he alone can outmaneuver everyone and just acts purely on instinct. So he's always mismatched. He's expected to meet with leaders from France, South Korea, Egypt, Israel, and the UK while at the General Assembly. And I think these meetings are hugely important and just hope that it goes well. Also on the international stage, an important dynamic going into this General Assembly is that there is pressure for a second referendum on Brexit in the United Kingdom. I think we've all agreed. We all see it was a bad idea. It's not going to work out. The idea that, you know, Boris and the rest of them sold them, that we can just go. It's cool, y'all. We held all the cards. We'll get to stay in all the parts of the European Union we like and the, one, the you know, the trade zone and dump the rest of it was a lie. And (laughs) I feel like they're all just waking up to that. And like Theresa May is doing the best that anybody could possibly do in this scenario. They don't hold a lot of cards and the EU is clearly not going to blink. And I hope that they do have another vote so they can be like, okay, that well, point taken, but this isn't going to work out. So let's not destroy our economy to prove a point. It's really complicated for a prime minister, May. She has to deal with the fact that Ireland is staying in the EU Mm -hmm. while Northern Ireland is part of the UK. And The border between those two countries is really important to bringing goods from continental Europe into the UK every day. After the meeting that happened in Austria between Theresa May and EU leaders last week, the currency in Britain dropped pretty substantially in value. And people are starting to recognize that if without a deal, there could be serious economic damage here. And it's just a really bitter negotiation. I mean, the EU just thinks that Britain wants to have its cake and eat it, too. And it's hard to see that they're wrong about that. Yeah, they're not wrong. But and I think, you know, with a with a nod towards nuance, I do think there was some very hyperbolic analysis before the vote that the second Brexit, you know, the second if we win a Brexit vote, the economy is going to crash. Everything's going to fall apart. And that did not materialize. That is accurate. There were some fears and predictions that did not come to fruition. But that does not mean that there will be no downside of this. I mean, I think the EU has been very, very strong. And honestly, I think if Boris and his lot wanted to get anywhere close to what they were asking, they shouldn't have been undercutting Theresa May at every 
chance they had because then that put her in a weak position and the EU had only to stay consistent to be in a much better bargaining position. And I think that's what's happened. They undercut her. They were resigning. They were doing all these things. So she, even as she does the best she can, which I believe she's doing, like, you don't, all you have to do is pick up a British newspaper to see that there are, there's lots of infighting. Some people don't think she's being hard enough. Some people are, don't want to do it at all. It was a close vote. Like, it's just, they're in a weak position. There's a lesson here, I think, for the United States in that, Watching your foreign policy be so undercut by political tension at home mm-hmm. is a really big deal. Speaking of a big deal, there's some reporting about spending at the Department of Health and Human Services. Specifically, the Post reports that they are diverting $226 million away from biomedical research, HIV AIDS services, and other health care purposes to house children in the Unaccompanied Alien Children Program. I'm going to take some deep breaths, deep breaths over here. That's in addition to $180 million in discretionary public health money that has already been diverted to that program. Now, important to note, money from Health and Human Services has been diverted to the unaccompanied minor program every year for the last four years. This is just an enormous amount of money. It is greater than the combined total during the past half dozen years. And it's really important to note that There is not an increase in the number of children coming into the country. It is just that we are detaining them longer. And that's what's driving the cost here. This is so frustrating. In what universe are these the priorities for our country? That we are so worried about children, immigrant children, that we're willing to divert money away from research that could change hundreds of millions of people's lives. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me. It's totally mind-boggling me to me. I have complicated feelings about this story because on one hand, I've made clear my feelings about the, the detention of unaccompanied minors in the country. And I think that we've created an enormous crisis for ourselves. It's going to take years to get out of this. And, and I have acknowledged, as we both have on the show many times, that the Trump administration did not create this. They certainly exacerbated it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we are where we are, and I think it is important to fund this properly. I don't want children in tent cities. And if there are nonprofits who can come in and help do this work well and div- diverting some funding to have it be done as well mm-hmm. as possible helps, I'm for that. I'm for anything that minimizes the trauma for these children. Well, you know what I think gets conflated so often when we talk about something like this, particularly the money spent, is the conflation of your decision to do this is terrible and you should be held responsible for your bad decision making. And that automatically means we want the money pulled out. You know what I mean? Like you can be held responsible for terrible budgeting. But then say at this in the same time, but this money has to continue to be spent because we can't leave these children without funds to be taken care of. Do you see what I mean? Like, absolutely. And this is a public health risk. What we're creating with unaccompanied minors who are in the United States government's custody for too long is a public health risk. And it's also true that figuring out a way to responsibly reunite those children. Again, we, we created this problem, but it doesn't mean that we just open those doors and subject those children to situations that could involve human trafficking. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is a nightmare, and it is going to take more money. And I hate for that money to come from research. 
I am 100% with Representative Will Hurd, who is a Republican in Texas. He's quoted as saying, imagine what would happen if we put this much money at addressing violence and corruption in the Northern Triangle, the countries where people are immigrating from, instead of spending that money on a symptom. And I think that is just 100% right. Um, But be that as it may... Right now, we've got a problem, and and we're going to have to put money into that problem. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of money and public health concerns, Hurricane Florence continues to dump water all over South Carolina. 44 people have died in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. There are thousands of people that are on alert for possible evacuation. People's homes have been destroyed. They estimate $44 billion in damage and lost so far. Congress is considering a new $1.7 billion package in new money to aid recovery efforts. But there's so many terrible, toxic stories coming about because of there's just so much water. Oh, my God, that story about the hog lagoons. Mm. If you haven't heard this, about 50 hog lagoons, which are just little... Just as nasty as you can... Just put the words together. It is what it sounds like, right? It's a hole in the ground where hog waste goes. It's as nasty as you think it is. And they've overflowed, and that could mean there's a lot of bacteria and water contamination. I read this article about... Think about people are down there. They're, They're in water, right? They're splashing water on their faces. Water's going into cuts. People are drinking water. There's still lots of people in this area using well water instead of public water systems. So that's a lot of water that's not able to be tested with the frequency of public systems. So the recommendation is that if you're in that area, you drink bottled water right now. In addition to the hog lagoons, there are stories about toxic ash ponds from coal plants overflowing, and that can result in mercury and arsenic contaminating river water. Mm. All of that, in addition to just ordinary flooding concerns about mold. It's Sarah and I were talking before we started recording today. Getting my basement back together after minimal flooding because our sump pump failed has been an absolute nightmare. I cannot imagine. It's giving me so much more perspective. Just this tiny little thing that's happened here on what water can do. And This hurricane just won't quit. It has Mm -hmm. also formed some new storms in the ocean. They're not expected to be a big deal and not expected to come near land. Uh, But you never know until it's over. This is going to be a problem that's going to have to be worked with for a long time. And you have to wonder how many people who've been displaced are going to move back to that region. Well, why the people of South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia are dealing with these life-changing hurricanes and floods, the administration continues to bicker um, over petty things. Now, I don't know if I would call this petty, but there's reporting from the New York Times that Rod Rosenstein offered to wear a wiretap with the president and was invoking the 25th Amendment. I alternate between this is not normal This is a big deal. And clearly, I think he was being either sarcastic or dismissive, and it's being turned into more than it should be. I can't decide. I'm not a journalist. I value journalists. I think what they do is critically important. I appreciate the New York Times. I don't think I would have run this story. (laughs) Yeah, that's. I think you're right. I do think you're right. I, I don't know what is served by running this story. Yeah. 
Well, and you just scratch the surface and it's like, it just sounds like bickering. It just sounds like, well, I was there and it sounded more serious. Well, I was there and it sounded more sarcastic. And it's just, it reads sort of like a gossip, an employee. Oh, it reads like an HR problem. Is that how it reads to you, HR expert? It does read a little bit like an HR problem. I mean, look, this it's incredibly serious. It's a testament to how desensitized we are mm-hmm. that a serious conversation around the 25th Amendment doesn't strike us as newsworthy. But I'm just uncomfortable with the the nature of all these anonymous sources coming together from the New York Times at this particular moment mm-hmm. when we know now that the MO of people who work in Washington is to plant stories like this to try to influence the president. Right. And so it just the whole thing makes me very uncomfortable. Well, let's put it this way. Here's where I'm going to land. Even if I'm not saying that even if he was being sarcastic and dismissive, it's still not normal and a big deal that he felt comfortable being like, well, maybe I should wear a wire because and we should talk about the 25th Amendment. Like that's not even when people didn't like Obama, we weren't talking about the 25th Amendment. I'm sure I would like a poll on how many Americans even knew what the 25th Amendment was, say, circa 2015, because I bet it was not very many. And now everybody knows what it is. And that's indicative of something. So I think that even I'm not saying that it's not a big deal, even if he was being dismissive that they brought it up. I just don't know that it's like you said, like deserving of this sort of front page story. Well, let's be grateful for things before we move on to talk about another front page story, the front page story really over the weekend. Sarah, what are you grateful for this week? I am grateful for this wonderful story, and since we were just kind of busted on the New York Times. And the New York Times called The Coders of Kentucky. It's by Arlie Hothschild, who wrote Strangers in Their Own Land, a selection from the Pansy Politics Book Club several year, or last year, I guess. It's a brilliant book about she went and lived in Louisiana and really tried to understand the far right in pockets of the country. Really good book. But she wrote this really great article about a program in Hueysville, Kentucky, which takes unemployed, underemployed, trains them in coding and employs them in this new like $40,000 plus year job. And, you know, it's this great combination of long, long term representative in Kentucky, Republican Hal Rogers. In fact, I think he is the long currently the longest term congressman. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's like you're talking like 30 plus years. But what frustrated me he said, Mr. in the article says, Mr. Rogers is a conservative who represents Kentucky's 5th District, home to many unemployed coal miners and one of the poorest, most population-depleted districts in the country. He found an unlikely ally in Mr. Khanna, a progressive Democrat and former official in the Obama administration who represents California's 17th District, one of the richest, fastest-growing, and most liberal districts in the country. Because this guy was – he has a startup that trains people and how Rogers reached out to him. But why is it unlikely? Why are they unlikely allies? Oh, why is it unlikely that two Americans would say, hey, I have surplus over here that can help your part of country over there? Because after all, we are all Americans. But I am grateful that they got together, have created this program that is really benefiting people in one of the poorest parts of the country, most certainly the poorest part of our state of Kentucky, an area that has been exploited and undercut and ignored for far too long. I think this is a fantastic program, and I hope they are able to scale it up to other our areas of Kentucky and other areas of the country. That's wonderful. Such an inspiration to you. Think about how many mm-hmm. opportunities there are to be doing things like that if we could just stop bickering and start to work on problems. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I am grateful for something on the international stage that I feel has not gotten quite enough attention here in the United States. Um, in May 1998, a war began be- 
between Ethiopia and Eritrea over the exact location of the border between those two countries. And it was a devastating war, as as war is, right? It ended in 2000, but peace was never fully restored. Last week, two key crossing points between these two countries were reopened after 20 years. This had been an area of really intense fighting, and this is a huge symbol of reconciliation. People have been dancing in the streets. There have been so many celebrations. You can find all these wonderful quotes from family members who've been reunited because they hadn't had access to each other for two decades. In July, the leaders of those countries signed a peace deal, restoring diplomatic and trade relations. But this this was really a moment of feeling that on the ground and allowing people to come back together. The chief of staff for Ethiopia's prime minister said, our recent tragic history is coming to an end. And Mm -hmm. I'll put a couple of links in the show notes. The pictures of celebrations are just really touching. It's impossible, I think, to look at this story closely and not feel very moved by what's happened. Next up, we are going to talk about the latest accusations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. We are recording on Monday morning after last night, Sunday night, there was breaking news from Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow. I saw a tweet that described them as the new Woodward and Bernstein. I'm here for that. Uh, With additional allegations of sexual misconduct towards Brett Kavanaugh during his years at Yale. Um, He was attended with a student at the time named Deborah Ramirez, who has accused him of exposing himself to her during a drunken party. And there's the, the you should everybody should just read the New Yorker article. There's lots of corroboration and they talk to lots of people and they're very honest about people who say, I don't remember that or surely somebody would have told me they didn't. But there is another student who did not talk to Deborah Ramirez at all, who said, I've remembered this incident for 35 years and sort of independently of her described the incident in very similar ways. And in addition to that, Michael Avenatti, the lawyer who represents Stormy Daniels, has said that he has a client and a group of people who will talk about a culture um, in the early 1980s around Brett Kavanaugh mm-hmm. that would be extremely detrimental. And Michael Avenatti's language about this has been very graphic and detailed. And I don't hope that this is true, but I would hope that he would not speak in this language without real credible evidence backing it up. And he has no history of doing that for all his faults. And they are. There are many, but that's not one of them. He doesn't seem to speak without having without having the evidence or the ability to back it up. I thought a lot about this over the weekend, and something unexpected helped me clarify my own thinking. And this is going to seem unrelated, but walk with me for a second. Did you see the campaign advertisement that included siblings of an Arizona congressman. Yes, that was bananas. Very angrily talking about how they support his opponent. Okay, if you haven't seen it, there are all these people, you're watching the ad, they're like all these kind of outdoorsy people sitting in fields saying, if Paul Gozar really cared about this, he would do that. And as you're watching, you kind of have this sense that there's something connecting with these people. It's not the usual young person, old person, you know, racial Mm -hmm. diversity that you see in campaign ads. And at the end, you realize these are his siblings, and it's a very bizarre thing. Well, then he responds in a series of tweets that his siblings are basically liberal losers, disappointed that Hillary lost, hashtag MAGA. Okay. Mm. So watching all of that unfold, I started realizing that we never are talking about what we're really talking about. Because clearly, this whole situation in that family did not start with politics. I do not Mm -hmm. believe that six siblings decide over Social Security to campaign against their brother in such a public way. And I do not believe that the brother responds so vehemently if this is just political. And I'm sorry for that family that this is happening and that it's playing out so personally. It helped me think, okay, with Brett Kavanaugh, 
what are we even talking about? Because the conversation about Kavanaugh has so quickly run from, we have these serious accusations. Are we going forward with the hearing or not? You have this bananas conspiracy theory from Ed Whelan, who has since retracted those comments, where he's saying it actually happened, but it wasn't Brett Kavanaugh. Here's a diagram of the house where it might have happened. He's also been suspended from his job for that little foray into Real estate theories, dude. Yeah. And he I mean, he offered to resign and his resignation wasn't accepted. So he realizes what a problem that was. But but that, I think, is illustrative of how we're just all over the place. And I've been all over the place in my own mind about this because we all have personal stories that we bring to these situations. I just light up when I read about evangelical leaders threatening Republicans if they can't get this nomination through. It takes me to a very Mm. um, unhealthy place for me to read that. And so I tried to really put my feet back in. What are we talking about here? And what I have been trying to talk about here and where I really haven't found any change in my position is that I am not interested in litigating the specific facts of what happened 30-something mm-hmm. years ago, I think good leadership now would be to say the country is not served by that conversation. And there are lots of qualified people for this seat. And this one individual's promotion is not worth everything else that unfolds when these things come up. But I don't think that's the conversation that everybody's having. And so to me, a helpful starting place is just what are we talking about? Well, I think there's two things we're talking about. One, we're talking about Brett Kavanaugh. And the thing I kept thinking about over the weekend was I don't I really don't understand why they're sticking by him at this point. I mean, I guess there is just the most politically pragmatic reality of they could lose the Senate. That is a thing that could happen. So I don't know if it's the the decision to stick through it and not try to force one through during the lame duck session. I don't know if it's some sort of Donald. A lot of my friends are like, well, this is Donald Trump's personality at play, which is he doesn't like to lose and withdrawing a nominee would be seen as losing. I think that could be part of it. I think but part of it to me is, you know, Mitch McConnell is very important in this process, in this discussion. He's not known for making his members take difficult votes. So not only is he going to put many of his members in a difficult position, what they were hoping to do was to to use this vote to create pressure on vulnerable Democrats like Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp. Well, that's not going to happen now because they're going to have plenty cover to vote no. So this, it, you know, on the most per, purely pragmatic level, I don't understand why they're sticking by him because I don't think it's, it creates a good political situation for them. So I'm super confused as to why they just keep saying terrible, awful things. I'm looking at you, Lindsey Graham, and sticking by this guy. So that that's the first thing I just I just can't figure out. And I don't know if it's maybe, you know, a deal they struck with Justice Kennedy. You retire. This is who this is who I want to replace me. I don't know. But it doesn't make any sense. And the more accusations that come up, it makes even less sense. The fact that they would really trot these people out in front of TV cameras to testify that is nothing that is nothing but bad for the Republican Party. I don't I don't understand that. And usually, you know, for better or for worse, Senator McConnell is as pretty talented at creating situations that are hard on the other party and easy on his members. So I don't know why they persist in this. And that's the thing. I think you can decide that his nomination 
should end without making the decision that he is a predator and a criminal. Mm-hmm. And I also think you can decide to believe these accusations without convicting him in any way, because you're always having to make a choice. So if I sat on a jury today, if criminal charges were filed against Brett Kavanaugh and I sat on a jury today, I am confident that I could impartially hear and evaluate the evidence. I'm also confident that I think I would be unlikely to convict based on what we know so far. I don't think that we've approached anything nearing beyond reasonable doubt, which I believe is an important standard in our justice system. At the same time, we are not asked as a public to evaluate situations in the hiring context, which is all this is, beyond reasonable doubt. In the hiring context, very often employers will confront an issue that raises a red flag and say, you know, I don't know, but but not worth taking that risk. Mm-hmm. Right and wrong. And there's just so many red flags at this point. You know, there's this story from 2003 where there were emails. The Democrats are accusing Kavanaugh of lying about whether he knew about the theft of these emails and lying under oath. There's the multiple accusations at this point. And the accusations aside, you know, we had a, a listener email us and say, you didn't talk about you. I'm disappointed in the way you talked about these. You didn't talk about them as accusations. You presume truth. I think at this point we can all say that there was a culture of hard partying, of excessive drinking and problematic interactions, if nothing else, from his high school and college and probably past that. So that to me is a giant red flag. You know, all these things add up. And at what point do you just decide it's not worth it? I mean, they like I said, like especially after Gorsuch got through with none of this. It's not like there aren't other people out there. It's not like this is your last best hope. I just don't get it. I think the story from people who believe that this is all a vast left-wing conspiracy. And I actually saw that phrase used on Twitter today and I thought, my goodness, what a time to be alive. But I think the people who are in that space think that there's more effort being thrown at discrediting Kavanaugh because this would actually shift the balance of power on the court. Mm. And again, that points to a very dark time in our democracy, I think, when the court has that much influence. What I don't understand when people say, we should presume he's innocent. We should presume he didn't do these things. And, and we're saying that outside the context of a criminal trial. Does that mean that we should presume that accusers are lying? Because that's the choice that you make. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are either presuming that accusers are lying or you're presuming that this person did what they're being accused of. That's just an impossible or you can just say, I have no idea. And to me, if the answer is I have no idea, which is a fine place for people to be and probably the most responsible place for lots of people to be, I have no idea means we should not plow ahead with this confirmation. I think I have a really hard time with even if it's true, it doesn't matter. That's the category Mm -hmm. of thinking that I can't get myself oriented to. Well, and that's what I shared on our Instagram story, the part of the article that just infuriated me. It was basically like, well, Senate Republicans are, we better speed this up. Like, in what universe is let's, you know, press the gas 
the appropriate response here. And then I thought, yeah, it, the appropriate response when you hit the gas is when you're escaping something, when there's a heist. Like that's when you want to get out as fast as possible is when you've done something wrong. You know, if you haven't done anything wrong, then there's nothing wrong with time. There's nothing wrong with taking time and investigating. And I think, you know, what gets lost in all these calls for investigation is the idea that, like, it's not that the 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 FBI is, you know, they're not, they can't travel inside somebody's mind and tap their memories. But what they can do is put people under oath and really say, if we don't know, then we, we really need you to put, to say under oath, not on Twitter, what you think did or didn't happen. And I do think that's an important distinction. I think it's an important, it's it's definitely worth it in a situation like this to examination of these issues to the next level and to a real investigation. My The problem that I have with that is that it seems impossible to me that an investigation will get us to a more conclusive place, mm. given how long ago these events were. It just seems impossible right. to me that an investigation is going to be fruitful. I think that's preferable to just having everybody sit in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee and testify without any kind of background being put together. But it still doesn't seem helpful to me. And that's why I just I go back to the idea that public servants sometimes have to make choices that they cannot serve anymore for reasons that seem entirely unfair to them. Mm -hmm. This happens. There are moments when you just have to say, I've lost the confidence of enough of the people to govern appropriately. And here, I think we have a Supreme Court nominee who has lost the confidence of enough Americans, whether the letter of these accusations is true or not. This is a bad idea now. And and mm -hmm. you can have, I mean, there's there are two things here. You can still have a really conservative justice appointed to the Supreme Court. Doesn't have to be Brett Kavanaugh. He's not the only guy available for this gig. And secondly, I think this language of life ruining, this is something we've talked about before, this life ruining hyperbolic language about whether he gets promoted from being a federal appellate judge, which mm -hmm. is an unbelievable honor and an amazing position and something that so many people aspire to and will never attain. His life isn't ruined by just continuing to sit on the D.C. circuit and not being a Supreme Court justice. What will ruin his life, I think, is if this drags on and on and on. Mm hmm. I don't understand why he, at some point he doesn't say, man, I got little girls. This isn't worth it. I don't get it. And I, can I just get something else off on my chest? This whole he doesn't deserve this. What exactly did Merrick Garland deserve? I'm intrigued by that question. This idea that he deserves to be on the Supreme Court and because he was nominated, he deserves to all these accusations against him to be ignored. Well, Merrick Garlick was nominated, too, and you wouldn't even meet with him. So don't trot out that what do people nominated for the Supreme Court deserve. Thank you. It's just a conflation of issues, right? Because Eric Erickson, who's been bizarrely crusading about this on Twitter, said today something like, I can imagine a bunch of suburban moms really worrying about somebody falsely accusing their sons of sexual assault today. Oh, screw you, dude. Screw you. Thing number one, suburban moms can speak for ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. Thing number two, yes, horrific to think about anybody being falsely accused of something. Horrific. Also horrific to think about a woman who can't go back to her house now 
because she has made this accusation and is being threatened. Nothing good is coming from any of this. Nothing Mm. good comes from plowing ahead here. People are getting hurt. And I can't figure out what that's in service of. Yeah. So, again, even if he really didn't do this, does it serve anybody to see this process through to some kind of half-hearted vindication? Full vindication is not possible under these circumstances. I know that sucks. Mm -hmm. I know that we want everything to be, like, decisively concluded, but that's not possible under these circumstances. So what what can be accomplished here other than just saying, you know what, Dr. Ford doesn't deserve this, Ms. Ramirez doesn't deserve this, Brett Kavanaugh's family doesn't deserve this, let's just stop. Let's Let's nominate someone else. We can all live our lives with somebody different on the Supreme Court. Well, and I just think it's exactly what you said. If this is how we're going to talk about the accused, then what does that say about the accuser? What is this? The way we've talked about all this has a lot. It has. There's a lot there about Brett Kavanaugh and the Senate and power, but the way we've spoken about all this is a narrative about women and victims of sexual assault as well. A very, very important narrative. One of my favorite writers on the internet and Helen Peterson sent an email and she talked about how she heard an interview on Fresh Air with a woman who just wrote a book about sexual purity culture in the evangelical community. It's Linda K, excuse me, Linda Key Klein, and the book is called Pure. I can't wait to read it. I'm definitely going to read it as someone who grew up in that culture. And she talks about, you know, sort of what it's like and the idea that you teach women that sex is bad and it's all – the fault is their own, right? That any sort of sexual immorality or sexual sin is always the fault of the woman. And she says, to have had something to drink, to get in the car, to wear a certain sort of outfit, to not resist right away, to have a sexual reputation or a sexual history, all of those are ways in which women in or outside of the church are viewed as abdicating their responsibility not to tempt their brothers. Thus, whatever happens after abdicating that responsibility, after failing, the fault is all hers. Who wants to talk about their failure? Who wants to share in reportable detail the most shameful moment of their lives? I used to tell my students that ideology never announces itself as ideology. It naturalizes itself like the air we breathe. It doesn't acknowledge that it is a way of looking at the world. It proceeds if it is the only way of looking at the world. At its most effective, it renders itself unassailable, just the way things are, not an opinion, not the result of centuries of implicit and explicit messaging, not a means of upholding a power structure. It just is. When I hear Caitlin Flanagan talk about her sexual assault, when I read Deborah Ramirez talk about her assault, when next week I'll hear Christine Blasey Ford forced to recount the specifics of her assault and asked why she didn't report it and why it took her years to talk about it, I see that ideology at work. But I also see that ideology under threat. The equivocations of those who do not want to believe the accusations, and especially those who want to believe that they are invalidated because they were not reported or that they do not matter, it's an expression of an ideology that teaches women that assault is always their fault, that shame is the natural response to their failure, that men are not responsible for their responses to a woman's failure to protect her virtue. This belief is not just sexist, although it's that, or misogynist, although it's that as well. It's fundamental to maintaining the patriarchal balance of power. It convinces women that they are shameful and broken beans. It suggests that they are weak, infallible, incapacitates ambition. It cuts short trajectories towards positions of power. One of our listeners also sent us an email that about Mark Cuban after 
terrible accusations about the culture at the Dallas Mavericks. And the host made a really good point, which is, you know, all these ways we tell women that they are broken, that they're and that they're not valuable, that their stories aren't valuable, that they are the ones that should be ashamed when they're assaulted. And she was talking about, you know, this culture that where women are abused, especially in work, when you're not being paid the same, what does that tell everyone? That you're less valuable. And all these messages we get that say your story isn't a valuable, your bodily integrity is not valuable, your accusation is not valuable or true. It's just this narrative just builds and builds and builds. But I, I do feel something different in the Kavanaugh. I think Anne Helen Peterson is right. I, I, it feels like it's all being laid bare and we're having to look at it in a new, awful way. This doesn't feel like Anita Hill. I don't feel women talking about this like, well, there it is again. This is just the how the way it is. I hear women really, really pissed off. I see friends on Facebook saying, this is the person who assaulted me. This is what happened when I confronted him. People, I didn't report it because people told me it wasn't rape or people told me that or I told myself that that's how I deserve to be treated. Like, I think that this is all building and changing. And we're really looking at these these narratives we tell women with open eyes. And it's helpful, I think, to see men saying, hey, this is not normal behavior. This, mm-hmm. I didn't do this in high school. Yeah. We are more than our sexual urges as teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important dynamic in this conversation, too. What message is being sent to men, what message is being sent right now about elite education? I mean, a big Word. loser in all of this is Yale. The culture being described, whether you believe that Brett Kavanaugh personally assaulted anyone or not, it doesn't seem disputed that he was part of a raging party culture that included copious amounts of alcohol and some poor judgment at the minimum. Well, and again, these things get conflated. Both things can be true. It can be true that hard partying cultures at academic institutions are fertile, fertile ground for sexual assault. And that often if you find one, you find the other. And it is also true that one is not an excuse for the other. That's right. That, you know, my husband, we were talking about this last night and we were talking about, I said, if nothing else, like there seems to be a growing narrative about Brett Kavanaugh that he was was and continued to be for much of his professional life a binge drinker. And my husband was like, you know, I would hate for people to interview my fraternity brothers and people from Transylvania about my drinking habits in college. He's like, but you know what? I never exposed myself to anyone. You could interview people all day long and they would talk about how I drank, but they would never accuse me of these things. They don't always go hand in hand. And I think we have to recognize that both things can be true. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. This is a little tangential, but I have been concerned about some of the reporting about his alcohol consumption, not for him, but because that is so prevalent in the legal mm-hmm. profession. And it doesn't seem to me to be a pathway to addressing that issue head on to be linking together substance abuse issues and sexual assault issues mm-hmm. because they they certainly don't. It's not a causation kind of relationship, I don't think. It's just, like you said, fertile ground. And that doesn't mean that we say, well, then women shouldn't have been going to those parties. It's the same kind of thing, right? Like, we don't we don't have to decide who was right and wrong at every step along the path. And I think that some of the personal ways that people on all sides and of all political stripes are talking about this indicates that we feel that we do. Right. And we Mm -hmm. feel that those right and wrong decisions that we make for other people all along the path, they're becoming characters through which we understand our own stories. And that's just not necessary here. And I think we could turn the temperature way down if we could see that that's not necessary here. What is necessary is to say this is a public 
position and a public proceeding. And like it or not, it is going to have generational impact. And so what do we want that impact to be? Well, and I I don't think looking at these stories, as long as it comes from a belief in self-awareness or for a desire for real self-awareness is bad. I don't think it's necessarily bad for all of us to think, particularly men, how did I act? What does that mean? But we don't need to accelerate that into a judge jury on everybody's situation. Like that's not necessary. This is a moment for us to think about the air we breathe regarding sexual assault and binge drinking and academic institutions and stop and, and stop and take that moment where we think, wait, what's the water here? What are we all swimming in that we don't take that we don't acknowledge? I think that's valuable and important. It's like we do this really weird thing where we want to focus both intensely on the individuals without taking in the culture or the opposite. Excuse it through culture and not talk about the individuals at all. It's like it's this weird dance we do. It what would be so helpful and healthy to what you're talking about is to recognize it as culture, not as politics. Mm. Think about how far away we are from judicial philosophy. So true. Or even from if you're coming at this as someone who is devoted to a pro-life Supreme Court, which which I think it's important to acknowledge that is that's a thing. That is a driver for lots of people mm. around this confirmation. So even if you're there, that is so far away from what we're talking about right now. Yep. And it seems to me that there is a healthier way to deal with the political issue than than what we're doing. We're we're trying to sort through something that is intensely personal and cultural in a process designed to make wholly different kinds of decisions. And I also have to say, I think it is unfortunate for people who are sincerely pro-life that they are represented in in this discussion largely by folks who are willing to threaten the life of someone who is testifying against this judge. Mm -hmm. That is not a pro-life place to be, and I don't think it is very representative of many people who sincerely hold that belief but do not believe that what's happening right now is okay. I think the last angle that we should talk about for a second, Sarah, is that we've had a number of listeners write to us about memory and how Mm. memory is a complicated a complicated aspect of being a human being. And it's possible that what what is factually true, if we could all go back in time and and really review these events, is something that's not exactly what we're hearing from anybody. And yep. I don't disagree with that. Everybody stop what you're doing and go listen to the latest season of Revisionist History. That's the first thing. I feel like Malcolm Gladwell is definitely patting himself on his back, particularly with a couple episodes in which he basically extrapolated these issues with memory, how we think about memory as a card catalog. And if you just pull it up and you don't read correctly from the card catalog, then you're lying and you're a bad person. And his argument is that is not at all the way memory works. It is entirely possible that Brett Kavanaugh both did these things and has no memory and is being completely honest when he says, I did not do those things. That is absolutely a thing that could be happening right now for a lot of different, very complex reasons. And I totally agree. I think that we have to think about and be more honest with ourselves about the ways in which human memory work. 
And, you know, we still have a justice system and even a confirmation system in the way we, you know, we come and we testify and we raise our hands and we do all these things that is premised on a very dated understanding of the way human memory works. And I'm not saying I have a better solution, but I do think it's it's very important to acknowledge that we barely understand and definitely have not culturally accepted the complicated ways human memory works. I agree with that. And I think it's also entirely possible that details from accusers in situations like this from victims will not, will be wrong occasionally. Mm-hmm. Not the not the main story, but details around it, sure. Over decades, when you've been through something traumatic, that doesn't invalidate what happened to them either. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think we've just got to get out of CSI mode. I mean, that to me is the biggest problem with this conversation yeah. in America right now. We are all searching to be judge and jury, and and that is not required of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like I said earlier, I just don't think it's available in this situation. Even if we had yeah. all the tools and all of the facts and all the information, I don't know that we'll ever know exactly what happened. And that is why I am always inclined to believe the accusers, because it makes so much more sense to me that someone mm-hmm. would either not understand the impact that their actions had or truly not remember or lie about it than random private citizen decides, mm-hmm. I'm going to go tell this story that has been traumatizing for me, that has created a ton of shame for me, that is going to bring yeah. all kinds of scrutiny on myself and my family. It just, to me, if you have to pick who's telling the truth here, it makes so much more sense to me that it would be Professor Ford, Miss Ramirez, any woman who something like this has happened to. Yeah, because look at the stakes. They have nothing to gain and everything to lose. He has everything to gain and nothing to lose. That's right. But I can wrap all of that in a sense that everybody's memories are shaky. I can I can sit with all those things on the same table, which again draws me back to the conclusion that the Senate Judiciary Committee, not the right place to sort this stuff out. Well, thank you for joining us as we continue to try to sort this out Next up, we are going to be talking about what's on our minds outside politics. Beth, what's on your mind outside politics? I want to recommend another episode of On Being. (laughs) Have you listened to Krista Tippett's conversation with Seth Godin? I have not. It's lovely. It gave me so much optimism during what has been a depressing news cycle. They talk about how in the modern economy, there's an opportunity for everyone to be an artist. That really what's valued now is saying... Hey, world, I made this. Is it helpful to you? And what really touched me, especially as I was thinking about our podcast, Sarah, he said that we're out of a mass market now. Basically, a mass market just doesn't exist anymore because you can you can release a product to the whole world and it ends up just creating all these little segments because you can get Mm -hmm. it out there. And so what you should measure is not the quantity of people who are excited about what you do, but by the weight of what you do, by how deeply those people are impacted. Oh, that's good. Isn't that just beautiful and inspirational and hopeful? I just thought that was so, whatever you're involved in, whether it's technology or um, crafts or learning or writing, whatever it is, to think about the fact that there are 
people who need what you are making and what you're making can make a huge difference, even if it's with a very small number of people. I love that. I love that. Well, I'm thinking of something a little less inspiration and impactful. I'm just all in on Halloween and fall. I'm all in. I got out all my Halloween decorations. I did a Halloween mantle. It looks so good. You should go on our Instagram and see it. It's fabulous. Thank you. Here's my favorite part about this. I don't know if you saw this, Beth, but I used a repurposed crib railing and I just turned our beautiful frame bridge family portrait around because the paper on the back was so cute and like Halloween, it's not Halloweenish, but it's like, it works. You just have to go look. It's in our Instagram stories. And I was like, so happy with it. And then the best part is we moved last year and I used to live on a dead end street. So nobody went by. So I was kind of hard excited to get excited about decorating the outside of my yard. But now I live on a busy street. I mean, not busy, but it's in a subdivision. And so now I get to decorate the outside and my stepdad helped me make all these cute like Halloween directional signs. So I have one like Transylvania this way and Hogwarts this way and Narnia this way and Winterfell this way. And I just love them so much. I'm just full in. I bought a cider candle. I'm in. I'm in it. I'm all in with fall. I'm excited for fall, too. And I love what you did with your mantle. I think it's beautiful. And I would love to see what lots of listeners are doing with their mantles. I can see your photos. Show us all your things. Because I haven't decorated yet. What I usually do, my big Halloween thing is to turn my staircase into a spider web. And I take big black balloons and put googly eyes and... um, pipe cleaner legs and they like crawl up and down the stairs. My girls absolutely love them. It's super fun, but I'm kind of in the mood for something different this year. So show us all your stuff. I'm excited about it too. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics as we sort out this Bananas News Week. We will be back in your ears on Wednesday over at the Nuanced Life and on Friday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsy Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.